Hi, I'm Micah Philbrook, and you're listening to Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corrine. Jimmy, Jimmy Corrine, Jimmy Corrine's a nerd. Jimmy Corrine's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corrine's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. Hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Corrine, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd. And you know what? We got a great one for you. Micah Philbrook is one of Chicago's most thoughtful and innovative improvisers and teachers. He is truly an artist. He teaches at the Second City Training Center in Chicago. He's a founding member of PH Productions, and he's performed with the Tim and Micah Project. We talked to him about joining an improv group when he first came to Chicago that was kind of like a cult. Uh, also, the importance of hanging out in the improv community and what still excites him about improv. This episode was recorded live at Judy's Beat Lounge at the Second City Training Center in Chicago. Before we get to the interview with Mike, I just want to say this is one of these weeks where I am just tired of hearing my own voice. Um, I've been talking a lot about myself. I've been talking a lot about improv this week, and uh, I'm just like, enough. So just recording this part of the show, this part of the podcast here is just, it feels a little painful. Um, but I just want to say, I was interviewed, uh, Jason Farr has a podcast called uh, There It Is, and I always feel really, I don't like being interviewed. I like interviewing people, but I, I especially about improv, because I really feel like, um, I feel like I'm going to say, this is totally crazy, but I think you guys can relate. I feel like I'm going to say something wrong about improv. So I'm always very like, just very protective. But this time with Jason, we went for about 58 minutes. I could have gone for another hour. I really could. I was, I was kind of sad that it ended. And then Nick Armstrong uh, at the improvnetwork.org uh, wrote a wonderful, he did a great interview uh, with me. And I, I don't usually like to say, you know, uh, I don't usually like to say that, you know, because it's, I want to sound humble, which I really am not just between us. But he did a great job. So, so check that interview out. And then we did something on Tuesday. Mark came over, um, Mark Serletic, who does, is the sound engineer on Improv Nerd. And this idea actually came about four years ago from Ben Caprera, who was the original uh, producer of Improv Nerd. And he said, you know, Jimmy, you should really do an interview, uh, an episode where you interview you. And of course, if you know me, you know that I'm very resistant. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a procrastinator. Uh, I'm filled with shame. I'm filled with fear. Um, so when he suggested it, and lots of resistance, I'm filled with so much resistance. So when he mentioned it, of course, I was resistant and said, oh, great. I, I'm good at like, there's like yes and, and then there's like yes, and then avoid it. So that's what I do. I do a lot of yes avoiding. So he suggested that. And then about a month ago, I'm in group therapy and my crazy therapist goes, you know what you should do? You should do an episode where you interview you. So uh, I'm taking Ben's suggestion. I'm taking my crazy therapist suggestion, even though I don't want to give my crazy therapist any credit because um, I'm mad because he's a baby pusher. The only reason we have a baby is because of him. I'm really doing it for Ben. Um, but what came out of this, all this interview stuff was a new confidence that what I teach, I'm really good at. I, I'm going to say I'm an expert in the field. I, I don't believe that I'm saying it. I feel a lot of shame saying it, but I really do. I feel like I'm an expert in the field. I am a great improv teacher. And uh, just and, and what I teach, you know, all the stuff, the therapy and the recovery and the, and, you know, the gr working with, you know, group relations and all the crazy stuff that I've been involved in, putting that all together in improv, I really offer something great. And, uh, God, it's so hard to even admit that to you guys. So enough about me. I'm, I'm really, I am tired of talking about myself. Why don't we let Micah Philbrook do the talking from here? So here it is, the Micah Philbrook episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Oh my 
my God. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah, well, we had excited. to reschedule this because two months ago, uh, uh, we had a, my wife and I had a baby. Congratulations. So I, I appreciate you coming back and doing this. Of course. I was very excited. And congrats again on your baby. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's, it's, I still can't believe it that I have a baby. Yeah. It's scary. Um, you grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes, okay. Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, as they say. And you went to uh, Louisiana University, right? Yeah. And you were a theater, you took theater classes yeah. there, and then you did Comedia dell'arte, yeah. is that right? Yeah, Comedia dell'arte. Right, and how did that lead you to improv? Um, it was a semester-long course on Comedia dell'arte, which is a Renaissance Italian theater form that has a lot of mask work and is heavily improvised. Um, and so towards the end of that course, the teacher was telling us about modern examples of commedia, things that still use commedia character types or still use that kind of theater. Um, and the teacher brought up Second City and told me about all these famous uh, actors and comedians that came from Second City and just basically listed everyone that I loved on Saturday Night Live. And so I was like, oh my god, I gotta go to this Second City place. And so I left. I technically dropped out of college and moved to Chicago. What did your parents think of that? Uh, they were excited that I was following my passion uh, and were also equally excited that I said I would try to continue my education. But you I, didn't mean that when you said that, I, right? I know I meant it. I was going right. to try. I just, right. It didn't work out, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't complete it. But. And so you come here to, to, to Chicago mm -hmm. and you uh, get in a group called Low Sodium. Correct. Okay. And you described it, it was kind of cult-like. Uh, yes, yeah. Can you tell us what it was like? Yeah, it was a short-form group that did a version of Guerrilla Theater, the Johnstone game show. Um, and so it was kind of more ribald and late night, very much a uh, like trying to hit that niche crowd. Our first show was at 11, and then we did a show at 12, and then a show at 1. What kind um, of crowd did you get at 1 o'clock? All drunken and like ridiculous. Every, it, the show we did was called The Evil Show, and it was a purposely offensive improv comedy show. And so we would get people that wanted to come and participate. I and mean, there was a lot of heckling, a lot of uh, unintentional call and response. So How would you offend people? Um, I personally tried to do characters and choices that would shake up their understanding of the political structure of our world. Um, so doing various things like pointing out misogyny and patriarchy and pointing out racism and all this other stuff. Uh, but I, there are other artists there that did all kinds of things like uh, very, a lot of fecal humor, a lot of like overly offensive, purposely racist and bigoted humor, you know, to try to push those buttons. So all kinds of stuff. My favorite character I did was that started a fight was called uh, the misogynistic tool man, and I was just like a mechanic who just badmouthed women the whole time. And how did he sound? Uh, I, I mean, just uh, I'm a mechanic. I don't know. It was so long ago. <laughs> hey, I'm a mechanic. I don't know. It was like a grease like uh, so Travolta. Act. I, I was. I'm familiar with Low Sodium. And yeah. Who ran it and stuff like that. What was the cult like part of it? Um, the cult like part of it was that we, as members of the company, were not allowed to take classes or play anywhere else. When we did, we, when people did, they were somehow punished or kicked out of the group. Um, but the other cult-like aspect was we were told that the rest of the Chicago improv scene didn't like us, that we were better than them, and that we didn't need to take classes there. And so as that, I mean, I just, I moved here in September and got hired in October and was performing by December. So I never experienced anywhere else. Um, and the few times I would make it out to shows and of course not tell anybody, I was like, this is amazing, like long form at IO, how amazing is this and why aren't we doing it and that sort of thing. Um, so you weren't allowed to take classes, you weren't allowed to perform elsewhere and if you did, you were removed uh, from the company and then as the company started failing, uh, the director made us do more and more stuff so that he could do less stuff. So we were like, at the very end, we were all pulling shifts at this coffee shop slash theater to, and totally unpaid, just to make sure we all had a place to, to play. And how did you get away from that? Um, while we were in that co the coffee shop, which is on the corner of, it's now a Bocce Pizza next to the Addison Redline stuff, but it was a coffee shop, and the, one of our cast members who wasn't in school at the time was being the manager of the coffee shop. He was like 19, 20, um, and he decided he wanted to go back to school to get his degree, and the, the director of the company said, if you leave, then you're not in the company anymore. And that 
he said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So he basically got fired. And then a lot of us, the rest of the company, thought that was the last straw. So we wrote a big resignation letter and all of us quit at once. And then did you go on and do uh, other classes and stuff like that? Personally, yeah. I had just started I.O. about a month or two before that. So then I finished the I.O. training program. I uh, got put on a team there. Uh, and then, and it was Dystopia 10, classic, during the era when everyone had numbers in their names. Um, and then took uh, the Annoyance class, finished their program, and then took Second City's Conservatory. Well, how did that feel? Because you were in this almost like you, you not exposed to the rest of the world, though you had been in Chicago, and now mm -hmm. you're just you're in, you're in all three of yeah. the major institutions. Yeah. It felt great. Um, as low sodium dissolved and fell apart, uh, there's about five of us in, P in Low Sodium that went on to form PH, and we, bought, we brought a lot of those people from Low Sodium along with us. They joined the company. And so while I was in I.O. classes for the first time and learning that, I was also forming my own theater company with four other people and learning how to do that. Uh, and it was, what was awesome was seeing all the people that had been in Low Sodium and not able to take classes elsewhere started going everywhere and taking classes and performing. And one of the coolest things was seeing PH cast members out in other places and everybody was crushing it like we had so many talented people playing everywhere that you'd find someone who was really good and someone would be like oh they're great what do, what do they do oh, they play at PH like oh my god that's what they do and they're great and it became this really cool link that we all had uh, because we had been doing so many shows for Low Sodium we had so much experience on stage and then tell me a little about PH PH was a uh, theater company's focusing on improv comedy and improvised works that has, was formed in 2002 by five people. Uh, myself, Jason Geis, Jeff Ford, Christine Kitts, and Christian Carranza. And we uh, wanted to create a company that took all the good stuff from Low Sodium and none of the bad stuff. So we were very specific about trying to let our people play and take classes and do everything. So we created a company that could run two, uh, four shows a weekend, late night, uh, late night shows. So we had a 10 and a midnight. Um, and we did really fun improv shows that were more long form, but not entirely long form yet at that point. Um, and our main philosophy was trying to get people together who like playing to e with each other and be playful with each other. So we, that's where the whole name PH comes from, was an eye for the chemistry of the artists and the performers in the group. And so it was a super fun group of people who had been kept from doing things, were now allowed to do whatever they wanted in this company. It was. Very fun, very fun. And then you also had said to me that uh, you didn't get involved, when you were involved with PH, you were so focused on that, that you didn't get to mingle in the improv world as much as you would have liked to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Looking back on it now, it feels like I had classes and then I would go back to PH stuff and then go to my classes. So there wasn't, I would be doing a show at I.O. and instead of being able to hang out, I needed to leave to go do my show at PH or... Uh, leaving my class and I had to go to a show or a rehearsal or something. So I felt, on the one hand, I wasn't able to hang out with a bunch of the community and get to know people that way. But on the other hand, I was going to do work and going to create and do the thing that we're all here to do anyway. So it didn't, in the moment, I was like, this is awesome, I can't wait. And now, looking back on it, maybe it would have been, I mean, I don't know if it would have been better or not, it's just the way it was. Why do you think that is important, the hanging out part? I think a lot of bonding happens um, off stage and out of rehearsal that affects the relationship performers can have on stage. Um, I think it's a shame that most of that bonding takes place around drinking. I think no, you don't drink, a, right? No, I don't. I okay. don't. Not a lot. I drink okay. occasionally. I think that's not the healthiest way to bond with a bunch of people. What, what is a healthy way to bond? Um, just the more time you spend with each other, the more time you spend doing things. Like taking, there was one team, uh, somebody rattlesnake. I don't know. Rattlesnake High School? Yeah, the ones, okay. they all got matching tattoos. Okay. Like, so bonded, such a good team, did amazing shows, and they did hang out and party, I'm sure, but I also heard of them taking, like, group field trips, so they would just go someplace together, um, and I think the more time you spend and hang out with each other doing all kinds of stuff, the tighter that bond gets. I know we once, uh, when I was at Carl and the Passions, we went bowling one time. Yeah, yeah, things like that. I know um, one of the great things about PH when we were starting out, because we were such a a new company and smallish that we all of it, we had rehearsals all the time so people were bonding we had parties at people's houses all the time we did uh, like 
Halloween was as a group. We'd have like New Year's Eve parties. So there was always those moments. How did you do bonding. Halloween as a group? You all went trick or treating? Somebody, no, okay. I wish. Uh, somebody had a party at their house. I hosted one one year and other people had it their year. People come in costume. We'd also do costume shows. That was really fun. People do that. What do you mean a costume show? Oh, like we did a, our weekly show called Frenzy, which is a very fast paced uh, montage of sorts. Um, and then during Halloween, we would do Frenzoween. They still do it. It's great. Um, and Frenzoween? Yeah. So it's like we just we did this creative thing where we took one word and we took this other word and we kind of put them together. Um, so <laughs> it's going to catch on. Um, oh, is, that di is it different than Halloween? Yeah. yeah okay, it's, explain it's, it to me. It's the Halloween version of our show, Frenzy. So we, everyone would be in costumes and dressed up in whatever costume they wanted to be. And then during the show, because it's a montage, you'd be improvising either as your costume or as a different character who just happens to be wearing that costume. It was really fun. A lot of scenes between like Tyrannosauruses and uh, like, I don't know, um, other costume creations. <laughs> I, I dressed up as a puppet one year, it was pretty fun. So you'd have a dinosaur and a puppet, they would yeah. do a scene. And they're just two you know, short order cooks talking about how they can't wait to go on vacation. Um, the other thing I find very interesting about you, you're very passionate about the philosophy of improv. Yes, that's, I'm very much so. Where, how did that develop? I think it, uh, a lot of it developed once I became more of a teacher, once I started teaching more than performing, because I find you have to try to find interesting ways to connect with students, and not every way works with every student. And so thinking about it more and discussing it and you know, trying to give notes and, and hip somebody to a particular idea or a facet of the art, I started thinking about all sorts of all sorts of different ways to get that across to them, and it makes me think about the reasons that I love it and the reasons that I find it so exciting and engaging. What is so exciting and so engaging, and what do you love about it? I think improv, especially on stage improvising, is the, the best form of human interaction, that if we could replicate all those things that happen on stage and all the things we talk about as the way to play on stage, if we replicated that in our larger society, it would radically transform society to being way more, way better, more, more egalitarian and more, uh, more just like aware. Give me a concept we can translate from improv to society. Um, this thing that I'm really excited about lately, the phrase, there are no mistakes, there are only gifts or there are only opportunities. I don't know who said it first, right? Um, but that I think I, it, it, it's on the wall yeah. here, but in this, Tina Fey is given credit. Yeah, okay. I know she said it in her book, on mm -hmm. the back of her book, and I don't know who And they said painted it, it on the wall, so yeah. it's got to be it's true. Be her, right. she Once it's it. painted on the wall, it's that's official. like a copywriter. Yeah. It, it is. So yeah. thank you, Tina. Yeah. Um, I use her first name like we know each other. Yeah. We, um, you might know. Do you know Tina Fey? I do know Tina. Not, not very well, but yeah. we started together here in Chicago. All right. You yeah. have to tell her thank you for the phrase. I, well, when I see Tina, I will say. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that idea of immediately accepting something as a gift rather than a mistake, I think outside of the improv world would affect the way people interpret obstacles or the way they interpret where they're, the way they thought their day was going to go is not going that way. So, rather so than let's say, give me an example of something in the day that... Well, here's something I'm working with okay, in this great. idea. When I, I've been driving a lot more lately. Um, and a, when car. I, a car. Okay. A car. Uh, and when I'm driving... Because it's a podcast. I want people yeah, to... Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I've been driving a car, um, <laughs> listeners. Um, and one of the things that happen is road rage, right? You get someone cuts you off or someone just is a complete uh, asshole and doesn't... Like, just is trying to do everything they want to do. Like, Louis C.K. said something about it being like, I want to do my favorite thing, why don't let me do my favorite thing, right? It's a really cool bit, look it up. Um, but do you choose in that moment, either I'm going to be angry at them or I'm going to say, all right, cool, no big deal, it's my chance, I'll, I'll let this jerk in and they'll be, you know, I don't have to get mad about it. I'm still working on that. I get really angry when I'm driving. And I honk it, I chased somebody down once, it was dangerous. Do you have, do you, do you, do you, tell me about that. Chasing somebody down. Yeah, tell me about that story. It's interesting. I know you're embarrassed. So you're, no, no. One of the things your I'm face most, is red. And I, one of the things I'm I'm just nervous. I'm so excited okay, to be on the okay, show. Okay, okay, great. Um, one of the things that I can't stand the most, and this is about, I think general population humanity is not being aware of other people and thinking that you're the most important person, right? And there are what almost eight million people on this planet now, right? And so, the idea that. 
I'm the most important comes out a lot in traffic. And I think that's because people are in their own little car and they don't have to think about people, but the kind of shit you wouldn't do if you were in line at a store. You wouldn't just like walk down the whole line and then like right when this person's about to go, go joint, just kidding, right? You wouldn't do that. And so when people do that in traffic, that angers me to no end and I'm trying to let that go. But someone did that to me once and I got real pissed and I followed them real close, honking and flipping them off. And so I, you were like doing? tailgating. I mean, yeah, and then what happened? Real dumb. Okay. Uh, so then we, this one Night scene, or during the day? It was during the day. Okay, cool. Probably like three in the afternoon. Okay, um, great. So this, Good time to do it. Right, yeah, you know, it was yeah. a popular time. Yeah. Um, they get to a traffic circle where we stop and then they go that way and I blow the stop sign and go around them the other way to get back in front of them. So you're going to like cut them off? Yeah, like okay. super... That was like brave. Yeah. You must have really been like in a rage, I was, like almost I was a rage. blackout. Yeah, anger. well I remember it. I hope I wasn't. I mean it was, it was definitely rage. And okay. so then I get in front of them and I just slow to a crawl. And I just go really, really slow the whole time. You're really honking you're, you're and fucking with them. them. Okay, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. Because that's, you know, I, in my mind at that moment, they deserve that. And that's right. not true. They didn't. Okay. Um, and that's the kind of thing. That, Wait, then where, where do you get out of oh, the car? Oh, so then we're going real slow. And then they turn into an alley to go to But go you're in front me. of them. Yeah. So okay. they, instead of keeping going, they turn right into an alley, I think, to go to another street to right. try to get past But them. you're too smart. And you, what do you do? Well, I just kept going. I was done. I didn't, I didn't want to. I mean, okay. I, I got my point across. Plus, I know that all the streets where I'm at are all one way. So they okay. would have to go two streets just to get back okay. going. I thought you I got felt I thought you got out of the car <laughs> and went after them. No, no. I don't, I don't know that I would get out of the car. OK. And if I did, I would have to act like I was really tough. <laughs> So let's take this concept of like there's no mistakes in life yes. and let's there's no mistakes in life. Yeah. Let's say you're in a car and mm -hmm. you you get in an accident. Yeah. Now that's I for me a guy who's filled with a lot of shame mm -hmm. immediately I that not only would ruin my day. Yeah. That would ruin probably a whole month. Sure. Okay. Are we talking like a serious accident or? No. A let's talk about just a fender bender. Okay. Okay. So that would be a mistake, right? And uh, let's say it's well, my fault. It could fault. be. It could be. Okay. So so so. Reframe this in improv. So, so I've, I've, I got up, it's nine in the morning, I get in the car, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, and I, I hit somebody. Right. Okay. So in that moment, you have a choice of how to react. Are you going to get angry about it and get upset either with yourself or the other person? A lot of people, even if it's their fault in that moment, they blame other people, right? I, I do that. Yes, right. that's what I do. And doing. so the idea that in that instant, you get to choose how you want to react, because it's all a choice. So if you decide that this happened, for, not that it happened for a reason, but in this moment I've been given the opportunity to not get as upset, to look back on what I did and maybe change my behavior in the beginning to not do that in the future. Like if you were you know, on your way to get coffee, if you're not fully awake, if you're futzing with the radio, like maybe they take that as a sign, like, oh cool, I need to not do that so I don't get in more fender benders. Um, but also just the idea that the thing you, the person's vehicle that you hit, if they're in it, you now have that opportunity to try to calm them down. Because if it was your fault, they're going to come out raging, probably. And depending on how much damage is done, you get to be in that moment and try to assuage the situation, especially if it's your own fault, right? Um, it's that I, the, the concept of not judging what you're doing as a mistake, um, but as a learning moment. Okay, so now we're going to apply this, because we're about to improvise. This, this idea of not judging. Yeah. And then we, there's no mistake. The idea that we can practice what I call reckless agreement. That okay. before I know what's going on, I can agree with you. Because I know that, especially on stage, we have each other's back. We're working together. And that I can, uh, like, immediately support it. Right? Like, immediate support, reckless agreement, and fearless contribution. Because if I know you're going to support whatever I do, then I don't have to be worried about my move being weird or not cool or not not being read by you. Because you're going to support it no matter what, even if you don't understand it. Right? All right. So give me an example mm -hmm. of reckless agreement. Um, a lot of times people, someone will start some sort of object work on stage, right? Mm -hmm. And then creating something in that world. Uh, a lot of times we refuse to participate or acknowledge or uh, take part in that because I don't know what it is yet. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, right. you were just kind of like miming yeah. something and I'm like, well, what does he do? It yeah. could be making bread, it right. could be, so, and I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be right, wrong. Right, of course. And so it's that fear of wrong. Because if we're improvising and we're gonna go with whatever each other says, if I'm doing something and you make it bread making and I was, I don't know, rubbing a crystal ball, I'm suddenly gonna either combine or go with what you said. I'm not gonna say, no, you're wrong, it's a crystal ball. I'm going to say, yes, and the bread's almost ready. I can see the future. There's the bread, right? Like, 
we're not, I can combine and create with you rather than say that what you did is wrong. And I, I would hope the same thing happens because if I'm doing something like this and you jump in and support by doing the same thing, then whatever I thought it was suddenly has a whole nother layer to it. So we could both have crystal balls and then we're in a scene where we're, you know, co-mystics um, trying to look up stuff in our crystal balls. Now the judgment part, I'm fascinated because I am one of the most judgmental people that you will ever work with. Uh, and the sad thing is I don't not only judge your idea, I judge yeah. my own idea. Yeah. How do you remove that? Um, How do you suspend that? For me, it's more about finding the joy in it because your idea and your perspective is so different from mine that even if I think, oh, if I do this, Jimmy's probably gonna do this, but you do something entirely different, instead of going, oh, he doesn't get it, he's wrong, I get excited about that. Oh, cool, that's totally different than I thought. Now everything's new, I can react, I can build. Um, I think it's deciding that your fellow player on stage is just as capable of an artist and just as smart and intelligent as you are, and so whatever they do, is amazing and I want to play with that. So if I can understand this, because this is for me, does joy, does joy override that, the judgment for you? I think so. Having fun and being excited about the art overrides, I over, should override judgment. I still have moments and you know, I'm not, I'm not a like perfectly enlightened being by any means, but like if I'm in that moment where I start judging or I start thinking, oh, what's going on? or you know, especially why aren't they reacting, the audience, why aren't the audience reacting, or why isn't this happening? I have to get back into the moment and where the joy is and find what you're doing that I really like and how can I keep So, So let's that. say you're doing this, because this is very helpful for me because I have no joy in improv, I have no joy in life. <laughs> I'm, I, I, it's, I'm, I have a baby and I, there's That's no joy, the joy in that. That's all the joy. That's yeah, well, you'd think it was all the joy, yeah. but it's not. It's not it's, having a baby is not what it's advertised. Let me just tell you that right now. Okay. How do you, so you're on stage and you're judging, mm -hmm. I, how do you slip back into the joy? For me, it's getting away from myself, so looking and focusing out, right? Somebody said everything you need for a scene is in your scene partner's eyes, like that idea of as soon as I start getting in my head or worried about this isn't going right or I'm not getting it or what are they doing, I make eye contact and connect and try to see what they're doing that they're having fun with or what they're doing that I think is fun and I push and heighten those things and try to bring that more out. But there's a lot of times where when you do get into your head or when I get in my head and start judging myself, it's usually judging myself first and then if there is judgment of others, it comes after that. Um, but the idea that what, what I'm doing when I'm judging and when I'm judging myself or others is I'm looking at it from an outside point of view. I'm not in the moment. So trying to get back into that moment by eye contact or by the tactile action of improv space work and things. Okay, so we're going to improvise now. I can't wait. Okay, and we're going to sit here, so it's not going to, we're not, we're doing this for audio, but even though okay. we have an audience, so I, I, so we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so we're going to take a suggestion. Okay. Is that, is that how you want to yeah, start? Yeah, I like that. Okay, great. Um, okay, so if we could have a suggestion, please. The wind. Okay, the wind. So you hear the wind, how do you break that down? Are we in the scene yet or are we just talking about We're it? We're talking about it. Oh, okay. Um, so I take a suggestion as inspiration. So the first thing that I thought of was wind chimes. So okay. I would probably do something where I was on a porch thinking about the wind chimes. Okay. And then whatever happens, happens. Okay. When I hear that, I'm like, I'm going to talk like somebody is on the wind. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So for me... Now, immediately, I threw that out, but I yeah. want to be honest with you. I'm judging that idea. Yeah, sure. I'm judging something that I've already created. Yeah. I've judged it. And what, you what, probably... What, did you judge it before you even said it out loud? Oh, yeah. yeah. I judged it two days right. ago. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that idea of building up that trust in yourself and that confidence in your own ability in this art form, embracing the idea that there's not a right or wrong. It's a subjective art. There's only strong and weak. And as performers and students and teachers, we're striving to make strong choices. Um, and accepting that we're always learning and no one's perfect, you end up be, being able, I think, to play in a much more like passionate and driven way that involves everyone rather than pushing for always being funny. Because trying to be funny, trying to be right, makes improvisers uh, focus on their ego, and that's never successful in a team. we got to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back after this. Okay, so 
with me, mm-hmm. so I can talk like this, yeah. right? Because it's yeah. wind, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, look at the wind chime, Tobias. What do you think? Oh, man, that's so cool, man. Made it in shop class oh, today. Norman, man. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I think it was your lighter. Oh, man, I'm not even going to pick it up today. Get it later, man. I'm, I, it you later. know what, Norman? I'm not going to get high anymore. Ever or just today? Today. All right. That's a good, let's take it easy for today. Yeah, man. We'll just chill and chill. And watch the street sometimes. Ooh, if, oh, if the ice cream truck comes by, I'm getting us bomb pops. Hey, cool, man. You want the cherry one or the gumbo one? Oh, I want the gumbo All right, one, man. All right. I want the gumbo one. You, you got it. I'm going to get it I thought you'd know me better than that. I didn't want to make sure if you wanted to maybe switch uh, it up. No, I'm not going to switch it up. Not when I'm with you, man. Uh, all right. We, we have known each other for what now? Since we were like, in yeah. third grade. Yeah, man. what's that, 15 years now? 15 years, man. 15 years. That's a long time. It's a long time, Norman. Long time. Yeah. <laughs> that the longest you've known anybody? Yeah. Because I stopped talking to my parents a couple of years ago. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, T. No, man. And that's okay. Yeah. They weren't good for me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're like, hey, man, you are like, you're almost 30, and you're still living with us? Get out. They kicked me out, man. That was bullcrap. That is bullcrap. And you know, you're cool, man, because you allowed me to come to your place. Of course. And you said, hey, anything, anything. Yeah. You want anything? Let me know. Yeah. It's here. Mikasa es su casa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, that's st- still open, right? Still open. Okay, because yeah. I need 500 bucks. All right. Cool. I don't have all of that. <laughs> but I'll give you what I have, what I can spare. Okay, cool, man. I, yeah, do you want it now? Yeah, of course I want it now. All right, I didn't know. Pick up that lighter. Here's 20. Here's $20. Great. That's for you. Thanks, man. I can get more out later from an okay, ATM. Cool. Here, give me that pipe, man. You said you weren't going to get high anymore. Hey, I'm celebrating. Okay. <laughs> What's so, the money for? Hold it, man. I want to get, I wanna, right. I'll t- you know. Do it. I'll think I want to be straight, you know what I'm All saying? All right, you do it, and I'm going to think about what it could be and try to surprise you if I'm right. Okay, great. <laughs> think about it hardcore, and I'll try to pull okay, it from man. your brain. Okay. All right. All right. Oh. That's good weed, man. Oh, I know what it is. What is it, man? You're getting uh, a business card made for your services as a house sitter. Man. Is that right? Yeah, and dog sitter and pet sitter, man. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to surprise you. That is a surprise. Yeah. You you could say that you're sitting me, and I'll be... I'll put you down as a reference. Yeah. Okay. You're sitting my house, not sitting me. No, I put you down as a reference. Please. I know, man. Okay. All right. Want me to give you a, re- a recommendation? I want you to stick the pipe in your mouth so I can light it. <laughs> All right. Okay. I like that you're lighting it for me. Okay. That's what friends do, man. <coughs> What's the matter? You went down? No, it's acrid. It inflames the sides of your throat. You want a t- <laughs> do you want a Tums, man? Yeah. Do you have any of the berry flavors? Yeah. I got a berry and I got a cherry. Why isn't cherry a berry? I don't know, man. I mean, not just because it sounds the same, but no. it's the same like texture. And you know what, man? All of these, because yeah. I've gotten both the cherry yeah. and the mixed berry, they basically taste the yeah, same. like chalk. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have a cherry? Yeah. Do you think it's because they don't grow in bunches? But cherries grow in bunches, right? Yeah. They have like cherry trees. You know what would be cool? Like if there was a stem in there. I swallowed that whole. You, no, you, are you kidding me? You serious? You swallowed it whole? Yeah, that was weird. I don't know. And you're not, like, not even choking or gagging? No, I mean, or it's slowly going down. Oh, oh man. That was weird. Man. Feels better, though. Cool. But seriously, <coughs> I could write you a Yelp review. I appreciate that. 
Do you want some water? Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Mm. Oh, man. That weed is like, it has no effect on me. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know, like, cause, is it because I got high 10 minutes ago before we it sat on be. the porch? It could be. Because, like, I'm not feeling anything. Maybe it's, good. what do they call it, creeper. Maybe it's creeper. I never heard. What's creeper, it man? It means later on you'd be like, whoa, I am high. <laughs> oh, man. It creeps. Yeah. I've had creepers, but I never knew that's what they were creeping. Oh, yeah. Like, I was at the store, and I was, like, getting an orange, and I'm yeah. like, oh, man. You know, and I dropped the orange right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a creeper, man. Yeah. Total creeper. I wonder who came up with that term. I don't know, man, but I like it. Ap it's apropos. What's that mean? It means it fits. It's Latin. <laughs> apropos. Oh, man. Norman, you always were smart. I, I don't know why you didn't go to college. Uh, T, I didn't have time for college. That was when we were, we were, I was thinking about starting that solar panel business. Oh man, that was such a good idea. Yeah, someone has to install them. Yeah. Someone has to paint them black. Yeah. That's what, I found out that nobody paints them black. <laughs> it's a photo cell. I feel responsible, man. Cause I was like, pushed you. I'm like, that's a great idea. No, I thought it was a good idea too. And I remember we went down to the bank and you took out like, um, you took like $5,000 out that was supposed to go to college. And I'm like, man, put it, you know, give me some, which you did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And then you had like a couple hundred dollars left. Yeah. And I thought, put it into the business. I mean, there's so many paths one could take in life, you know? But man, I just, I feel responsible. Like if you didn't give me, if, if I didn't take that money from you, you would, you'd be successful. I don't know if we can assume that because I, up until I tried, I thought you painted so, the, the solar panels black. You don't do that. There's so much more science behind it. They're, uh, they're like, there's the chemistry that goes on and the photo cell steals sunlight and turns it into energy through a list of chemicals and then it puts it into something else to use. I don't know any of that. Oh, cool, man. So, I don't blame you. We had a hell of a party. Oh, man, we did. It, was, yeah. it lasted weeks, yeah. man. Yeah, we did. I could, we took, we got that um, hotel room, yeah. remember? Like, for oh. like for two weeks. Yep. And we had room service every night. Yeah. We got those girls, and then, oh, my God, we, we had, had such great weed. We brought a cactus in and planted it in the bathtub. Oh, man, that was great, man. <laughs> It's the I worst place for a cactus. Yeah, because it because you think it would be, grow, yeah, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't it's grow. Too much water. Yeah, yeah, way too much water. And it was hard to take a shower, man. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, like it was that kid, that kid Chad. Oh shit, man! <laughs> him all in the back Chad, of his man. Neck. Chad, oh, man. Chad, man. I think he still got brain damage from that. Shit. I saw him the other day, man. Wait, he got brain damage? Yeah, from that. From that. Oh. Remember, because he had too much acid. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it was in the cactus. No, man. No. Oh, damn. He's 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 at the grocery store now, and okay. he bags, man, and he doesn't even recognize me. I'm like, hey, think, Chad, and he's like, uh. Do you think he blanked you because he's traumatic and he didn't want to like? No, man, I think, I think he honestly, he's like, it killed brain cells. Damn. Damn. What time is it? I'm gonna go back in and take a nap. So it's nap time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, how do we do in terms of uh, I thought we did great. I think there were a lot of things that, um, because I teach, I think about this constantly. Um, and one of the things that I noticed, we did something that I tell students not to do, right? That idea of uh, staying in the present. And there were a couple times we started talking about things that had happened in the past, right? Um, but I think if we remove the idea of what you should or shouldn't do, but instead go after supporting each other and following the things that you find fun in the moment, and that you're your group or your scene is doing, then it doesn't matter if you're talking about the past because one of the reasons you tell, I tell students not to focus on the past or the future is because they end up sitting and just talking about that. But that was the whole conceit in our piece anyway. We were just sitting and talking. So it seemed more um, fitting to do that. Uh, but in that moment, I had that flare of judgment. Like, oh, we're just talking about the past. What are we doing? We're doing this bad. Oh my God. Then I was like, no. Fuck it, let's just talk about this party we were doing. Two people sitting on a porch. Um, I had a little judgment like, okay, this isn't funny enough. 
Yeah. Did you have that at all? Uh, no, sometimes. I tried not to. It did creep up once or twice. But the idea that we can get to moments that are funny, but we can also have moments that aren't, and that's fine. Like, this is a theatrical art form, and what I tell, what I tell my students is that people who improvise are generally fucked up and weird in the head, and so the shit that we say in the right context will probably create comedic moments, but we don't have to try and be funny. And so I think we got some laughter that was encouraging, but I think it was also uh, people wanting to hear it, and it felt interesting. But I mean, and then the thing that. is, because I feel shame, like uh, we talked about people that weren't here and stuff yeah. like that. But I also feel like in the context of this, we were still exploring our relationship. Yeah, I think so. We were, I think based on what we were talking about, we we're discovering more about our shared history that we both got to add things to. Mm -hmm. And that's really fun in the development of that that relationship and those two characters. Because I also try to think about improv in terms of connected pieces to talk about how, what's possible. So this setup, this scene happened, and now we have these two characters, but we talked about Chad, we talked about a party we had, we talked about an ice cream truck, and so now there's all this information that we could use in another scene or in a callback, right? We could have jumped to us at the ice cream truck, right? And having that whole moment, we could have jumped to you meeting Chad at the grocery store and talking about that, or jumped to other people at the grocery store who are like, man, that guy Chad, he's out of control. Why, why is he throwing Cheetos all over the salad bar, right? Like, we could bring stuff up that we then would be dis, like getting into or dissecting because we brought it up in our scene. Mm -hmm. um, anything you would like to do differently in this scene? Um, I wish I would have paid more attention to where I put my water cup. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I set it over here, and then at some point it was over here. And if I had known for sure where I'd done that, I would feel, I felt real judgy when I grabbed it from here. I was like, oh no, where did I put it? Do I have to comment on the fact that it's just leaped over here? Like, otherwise, So no. you were judging yourself uh, with the object yes. course where you placed yourself? Yes, yeah. Okay, um, we're gonna take some questions from the audience. Ooh, you're, okay. smi you're smiling. I'm excited, this is so much fun. Okay. I get to talk what to is Jimmy. What's, exci what, what's exciting? What's exciting? I, I don't, I, I, I look at you as a luminary in this art form that I'm immersed in and hearing your podcast and listening to you and seeing you around the community and this is me getting to sit down next to you and talk about this art makes me so, so happy. So what, is, what is a luminary? That's... Uh, <laughs> a luminary as in someone who is noted for uh, contributions to a field. Okay. That's very hard to take. I'm just going to pretend you didn't even say that. Fair enough. All right. But thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to uh, have questions Great. for Micah, uh, either about what we just did or just in general. Great. Uh, and if you could just put your hand right here. No? That's not a question? No. It's not. Great. Um, all right. So, uh, well, right here. Uh, I'm a big fan of your work with the Tim and Micah Project. Thank you. And uh, I really enjoy how fourth wall breaking and meta can get, can you talk about how that came about and how you found your voice? Yeah. Great. So I got to repeat the question so people in the podcast, um, he's a big fan of, of the Tim and Micah project, a lot of fourth wall breaking and a lot of meta stuff. And if you can tell us, what was the, uh, how that came to be, how, how that came to be. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Good question. I enjoy the Tim and Micah project. Uh, that is a sketch group that me and Tim Sosko do. And we met through PH and then took classes together at IO. And while we were both working at the Chicago Sketch Fest, we decided, we saw a bunch of people who were working there coming up with sketch shows. And we said, we have history together, let's do a show together. So we met and started writing and talking. And we both have a very similar sense of humor and a similar uh, love of just like avant-garde, but not taking it too seriously as avant-garde. And so when we started writing that show, it became, the first show, it became how can, we created these two characters called Tim and Micah, and we wear black turtlenecks, we're all in black, and we're very much like avant-garde sketch uh, geniuses in that world. And so we wanted to create things where these characters could take themselves super seriously, but constantly fail or constantly not succeed at doing whatever they're trying to do. And in the process, we ended up writing a bunch of sketches that were very meta and fourth wall breaking, like you were saying, and the idea that we had some jokes that would only be for certain people in the audience that not everyone would get. Um, 
the we didn't necessarily choose to do that. It was just what we liked as a group. So then after we started writing our second and our third show, we really started to push that ideal, like trying to be avant-garde, but not tr but consciously not trying to take it so seriously that we would, I guess, push it into the you don't get it realm, I guess. Because that's, Tim, I love watching, we went to the Fringe Festival one year in New York, and Tim and I would go watch a bunch of Fringe performances, and I love it, whether it's good or bad or confusing, I just love that kind of like art that's out there and strange. Uh, Tim cannot stand it if there's no point or he doesn't get it. He gets so angry. And so we'd be watching a show. There was one show in particular. We're watching this guy's basically trapped in a box the whole time. For and like he, 40 minutes? Yeah, 40 okay. minutes. And it's really cool. Like he's moving, the box is moving, and he's like up on the sides and very little words spoken, a lot of voiceover stuff, and I like looks to the audience. So great. Tim the whole time is like, I can't stand this. What is this? <laughs> he's just rocking in his yeah, chair? Yeah, like we, when we got out of there, he was like, ah! Like right. screaming, walking around. It was great. But we want to do that kind of stuff, but in a world that you can laugh at that, where you don't have to be in the audience going, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh or not. We want you to laugh if you think it's funny. We want you to gasp if you think it's not funny. We want, like, whatever energy you give us is great. And we purposely sometimes try to mess with people and create, like, an emotional tone in the audience, too. How are you with, you know, we, we all want, we're all programmed to get the laugh. But it sounds to me like, you're, you, you'll take a gasp. You'll take a boo. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I got into this because I enjoy the laughter. Like, I, that's, the, that's the drug part of it. That's what I'm craving. But I also think, as I've grown up in this art a bit more, realizing that if you just chase the laugh, you are, you're doing yourself a disservice because the immediate laugh oftentimes precludes a much more deeper comedic moment. You, you take the laugh now and you blow a lot of the energy, you blow that tension instead of going to this point where you and your scene partner or partners discover this amazing truth that we can all laugh at as like a way more deep, like, oh my God, that's humanity, rather than, oh look, there was a fart noise, right? And it's hard to sometimes not take those easy laugh choices when you first start out in this because that's what we're craving is that laugh. That's why a lot of, I mean, that's why when you're the funniest person at work and they're like, go take an improv class and you get to improv, you're like, yeah, I get to make people laugh. And once we get to that realization that it's a theatrical art form of which comedy is just the most focused on or the most prevalent, or the attempted comedy, I should say, is the most focused on. I think once you accept that it's a longer or deeper art form, you can have I don't know, way more fulfilling experiences, I guess. Great, we're gonna take another question. Let's do it. Yeah, right here. Uh, when you were first starting out with improv, um, what, was, what was your biggest challenge and how did you get past it? When you first started out in improv, what was your, what was your biggest challenge and how did you get past it? Um, the biggest challenge was, outside of the art form, the biggest challenge was time and money and trying to find a way to afford it and not you know, become homeless or not be able to pay my bills. Um, I chose to be a waiter to, to offset my costs and have free time to do it in. Um, inside the art form, I think it was this thing that I'm still working on, that idea of the awareness of others. I, it was so exciting to play. It was so exciting to have this art that people were like, yeah, just make shit up and run on stage and be silly about it. And we're all going to say yes. And we all get to do whatever we want and we can create in this completely imaginary world, basically adult make-believe, and people are sitting in an audience and want to watch it. So I would get so excited about playing and so excited about being in it that I didn't listen well, I edited too much, I walked into everyone's scene, I was, uh, I was a, I didn't steamroll, but I always was mugging and doing bits on stage and trying to steal focus, so coming up, getting to that point where I realized it's not about me and there's no, there's no room for ego in improv, I think that's the thing I'm still working on, but that's probably the biggest challenge, just starting off in the art form, is not, not taking that into account. Did someone pull you aside? How did you have that opinion? I got notes a lot of the time growing up. The like, same you know, thing? Like, yeah, oh, like, you know, you're getting on the, you're taking, yeah. you, you don't need to be in yeah. so many scenes. Don't, you're mugging here. Yeah, don't edit scenes. Quit smiling at the audience. Like, why, what is that character? That character is not believable. That's a cartoon. Like, um, don't edit every scene. Uh, that scene doesn't need to walk on. Like, well, and when you originally got those, did you just go, well, they're full of shit? Or did you, or how did you start making that change? I 
took the notes, but it wasn't until, and I took the notes and expect, respected them. It was like, cool, I'll try to step back. But then I get excited and I get more into it. Um, it was when I started, uh, I think, taking classes at I.O. in like 2003 that it started dawning on me the idea that the group is more important than the individual. Because I had up until then pretty much a short form background where it's still the case the group is more important, but inside of the way that I learned through low sodium, it wasn't necessarily pushed as much. Um, and so going to IO and figuring out, oh look, it's about group mind, it's about connecting as a group and sacrificing yourself to the ensemble. All the things that I then would later get reinforced at uh, the, the Annoyance somewhat and at Second City a lot. And then through teaching it, being more and more aware of it. And how has teaching helped you with that? Teaching has helped me focus on the foundations and the ideas of it and being able to see myself in a lot of students and what I do and helping them try not to have that same, trying to help them have that epiphany sooner, I guess, than, in, than when I had it, but also having to just go over the basic concepts and think about it in ways to explain it to different students has allowed me to process it in a bunch of different ways. Have you ever had this thing, and I've had this, where you're giving a note to a student you, in, or you have a class and you keep giving the same note over and over and you go, oh, wait a second, that note's really for me. <laughs> I've given notes that I realize as I'm giving them apply to me and I try to always in my classes try to be vulnerable like I'm asking them to be. And so if I find a note that's about me, I go, you know, I have this problem too or I had this problem too or I had this issue or this was something I used to always get. What is, what is, what's important for you to be vulnerable to your students? Why or what? Either one. Um, I think why it's important to be vulnerable is because you're asking people a lot in this art form to do a lot in this art form and tend to be open and take risks in depending on where they're at in their own experience with it and with that ensemble's experience with it. It could be, you know, a bunch of strangers in a room and you're asking them to do some really weird shit in front of each other. So I find trying to also be vulnerable and say that I'm taking risks, I'm being open, helps them realize it's that kind of space. Um, to do that, like what I do to be vulnerable is share notes when I have notes that are applied to me or when I think about something in a certain way that I notice happening. Um, I try not to do it in like an example of self-judgment because I don't think that's helpful, but in a, an example of this is a process and we're all still learning. We're all on that path. Great. Another question? Right over here. With, with your like, uh, philosophy about like, that everything in humanity, like the best parts of humanity are in improv, and uh, the way that improv is now, it seems like a lot of it is more like towards like comedy and like more towards like getting this smart laugh or a good laugh, or, like you just said, but it, it, are there things within humanity that can be represented through improv uh, in a way that's still poignant but not necessarily comedic? Is there a place for that? And if so, Is there a place for poignant, thoughtful stuff mm -hmm. in, in, in improv? Yeah. Not just the laugh? Yeah, I think so. I think so, especially. I think one of the, there's a larger movement now in this city especially about dramatic improv and there's a lot of classes and things about dramatic this past year at the festival chicago festival there was a whole section for dramatic improv um and i think w one of the things that makes this art the most exciting for me is that we can address and deal with and have all sorts of different experiences in the in the piece and if you're playing honest and you're playing the characters honest in the moment honest you will have things that are ridiculously silly sometimes, and you have things that are really heartfelt and touching sometimes. And when we reach those moments where the audience isn't laughing because we're doing something so real, a big, a big push for a lot of people is to break that tension because it feels awkward. And so they go for a joke. But if you push through it and have that moment, something's gonna happen naturally that people laugh at because we all crave that tension breaker. And so I could make the joke and kind of get that quick tension break, but if I just push through it and have that moment, then something as simple as uh, like a f an offhand phrase that is not funny at all, has no comic value out of context, and that moment becomes a huge laugh line. Uh, Liz Allen was a teacher I had at I.O. and she said that there's an inverse relationship. Like the more real and deep and honest you go, the higher that next comedic moment's gonna be, but you can't pick it and you can't decide when it happens. You just have to 
be comfortable in that in that in that honest moment because whatever it is is going to be a huge laugh um and i think there's absolutely a place for that and if we don't include that sort of that push in our art we become just it's like it's like saying that should all music just be one genre right like should all improv only be comedy is saying that all music should just be jazz and i love jazz and i love comedy but I think we can use improv to create all sorts of stuff, whether it's really heartfelt sketch, whether it's a devised play, whether it's just an improvised scene that is honest and realistic and, and deep. Great, let's squeeze one last question in. Yes, right here. Uh, what would be uh, a moment in improv, like your, your, either your, your best moment that you've ever had you know, like with improv, or maybe like the first one where you were like, this is actually a lot of fun, I want to what is your, the best moment of your improv? One of my, I don't know if I have a best because it's so hard to think about it. I've been, I was thinking about this today since I joined Low Sodium in 99 and then PH started and then I left PH in 2012. So from 99 to 2012, I was performing upwards of four or five shows a week, like constantly. I took a year, maybe a full year off if you added all the time I took off. So it's hard to think about the best moment. Well, one of my most favorite moments is when I was on a uh, cruise ship for Second City um, doing comedy in a room with about 300, 400 people, and there's this short form game called um, 185. It's a punchline game where you just like make up jokes on the spot. The audience gives you the blank, 185 bananas. They give you bananas. The introduction is 185 bananas, walk into a bar, the bartender says split, and uh, everyone goes boo or whatever. Um, <laughs> So you tell the audience beforehand, anything you give us is great. If you boo, it's great. If you think it's hilarious, laugh, great. If you go, whatever, any energy you give us is awesome. And so in that game, at one point, I did a 185 that I thought in my head, this is going to crush. And I went, out, so I went on stage, I did it, and nothing. Do you like remember the, what you said? No idea. I blacked okay, that out. Okay. But the whole audience was just not, not, even like a, like, not even like an awkward, we'll give him a chuckle, because clearly he wanted that to be funny. And it was that moment of, it doesn't matter for me. Like I was like, oh, cool, I'm still here. Nobody's hurt. Like I don't have to hide. And because immediately after that, I said something like, think about it, and got all intense. And then like I was holding an improvised mic, and I was like, think about it. Mic drop. I was like, whatever. Uh, and that made people laugh. And then I was suddenly like, oh, cool, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If I say that joke confidently and no one laughs, who gives a shit? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to be confident in it. And that was one of like, let's say eight that I told in that game that lasted maybe a minute and a half. And not all of them had that kind of cricket response, but one did, and I'm still here and I'm fine. So that was probably one of my favorite moments of being like, cool, I can survive an audience not laughing at me. But don't talk to me about my stand-up because I tried stand-up and when they're not laughing, that's even more nerve-wracking. What's more nerve-wracking about that? Because you walk out on stage like, I'm going to be funny, get ready. Whereas improv's like, hey, we're going to have fun and play around, we'll see what happens. <coughs> Stand-up is like, this is going to be comedy, so get ready. And that to me is, it's so much anxiety trying to be funny. Ugh. All right, we've got to wrap this up. We always ask the same question. Okay. What is the one piece of advice you'd give somebody starting out in improv and comedy today? Don't rush. There's so much to do in the city. There's so much to train in uh, anywhere you're training, and it's not a race. Like, if you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you're not focusing on what you're doing. And one of the things that I had a lot of was that impending deadline that I made up. Like, oh my God, I got to get all this stuff done by this time. I got to do all that. So, when you're rushing through your work, you end up doing too much. You end up doing more than you need to because you're trying to find that place you fit and how you can best succeed. Um, and I think rushing through your training and exposure to this art doesn't do you any, if you really want to study improv and you want to get to know it, don't rush. Like figure, take your time training. And it also applies on stage. Like don't rush through scenes. There's no reason, like when we did our scene earlier and there was a big moment of silence, it was probably like maybe three, four seconds tops. It felt like a long time to me, but I didn't want to rush through it because that was a moment that was happening, right? What about when you're eating? Do you rush through that or not? I do, because I don't have time to eat. There's no time. All right. Micah Philbrook, thank you so much thank for you. being our guest on Improv Nation. And thank you.
And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank our guest, Micah Philbrook. I also want to thank the Second City Training Center here in Chicago, Jesse Swanson. Uh, also, Dan Schiffmacher, uh, my producer. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. Also, I want to thank Sam Bowers. He's the director of Improv Nerd. And Mark Serletic. He is the sound engineer. Uh, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, the Artist Low Comedy, and workshops, and intensives, and the Improv Nerd blog, and my books, and t-shirts, go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Follow us on Twitter, Improv underscore Nerd. Like our Facebook fit page, Improv Nerd, because it helps with my low self-esteem. And you got to check this out, our Improv Nerd YouTube channel. It's you will get to see clips from the live shows. All you have to do is go to YouTube and Improv Nerd Podcast, all one word. We're also lucky to be part of feralaudio.com. It is a podcast collective, some of the most hilarious, innovative, and creative podcasts out there. Go to feralaudio.com. I want to thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Well, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 